Hey, welcome everybody to another in our series of We Can Be Better podcasts. Today I'm really excited to have Deb Bartell, a fellow in the American College of Medical Practice Executives, clinical administrator at Portland Diabetes and Endocrinology Center. And uh, I just thought that Deb had so many incredible experiences with uh, COVID, with riots or protests and fires that she just needed a break to have to talk to somebody uh, rather than do anything else. So uh, I'm just grateful that she agreed to chat with us today. So Deb, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, a little bit about your practice? Sure. We are, let's see, you've already mentioned that I'm a fellow in the American College of Medical Practice Executives. I'm actually kind of proud of that because it took a lot of work to get there. And because of the things that we do in my position, I'm the clinic administrator here, we are learning all the time. Things change all the time, as I think everyone listening is painfully aware this year especially. Regulations change, they morph, they stop, they start, they, everything is, is just crazy. So our industry is a little bit like 2020 every year, but this has definitely been a little extraordinary. So one of the other things that I do is I moderate the Portland Healthcare Forum, where we've got a couple hundred clinic managers, supervisors that will uh, join on a Zoom call either every week or every other week and talk about things that are going on. Uh, we also have an email form, kind of a listserv, where folks can send in a question and multiple people will answer it for them. So we've just, it, everything that we've done here really has been a team effort. And I think we all, we say all the time, that how could we do this without each other? Because it's really not what you know, it's who you know. Nobody can know everything. Maybe mm -hmm. 20 years ago, I'm not even sure 20 years ago if one person could know everything, but you certainly can't these days. Well, that, that's for sure. And it's interesting you mentioned teams. So you're talking about, I think you're in, in discussing things earlier with you, you really are focusing on two teams. One is the team of the network that you have with your fellow MGMA folks, and the other is your team internally. Is that true? Correct. That's correct. I think both are equally important. And what seems odd maybe to folks that aren't from this area or have never worked in this area is we may work with our direct competitors during the Portland Healthcare Forum, and we help each other out. So, you know, it's, it's all about making sure our patients get what they need, our staff gets what they need, and our community gets what they need. So uh, there's not a lot of, you know, there's maybe a little friendly rivalry occasionally going on, but mostly we're just there to help each other out. I think that's awesome, and I commend you for the volunteer effort that you put in for that. So let's... Uh... Let's jump into a question. When I talked to you earlier about the telemedicine application and so on, I was very impressed with, with what you've done relative to working from home and the integration of telemedicine and that sort of thing into your practice. Can you share a little bit about your experience uh, uh, with, with the listeners? Sure. I think if you could call it luck, I don't know if you want to call it lucky, but I think we were fortunate in that we already had folks working from home and have for a couple of years. So we had that technical infrastructure going. Our, the folks that answer our phones are from home. The folks work from home. The folks that do our scheduling um, and answer the scheduling phones work from home. And we actually have a couple of medical assistants that do phone triage they work from home as well so when COVID hit and we didn't really know anything about what was going on or what was going to happen we knew we needed to get more people 
working from home, so we immediately moved our billing department to work from home, and, and even more people, uh, gave more people the ability to work from home, but, you know, we really were lucky because we had that infrastructure. I myself uh, worked from home one day a week already because I live quite quite a while from the office, and I jumped to working two days a week just so that we could have better social distancing in the office, and I think we, we all kind of did that. The whole you have to be apart was still a bit of a mystery at that point, but we just knew there was no way we could keep everybody in the clinic all the time and and do it well and do it safely. So when you, when you say you had this network set up already to work from home, did you have some obstacles that got in the way to get you started and or uh, do you attribute some key things to the long-term success as to how well that's worked for you? Well, I think the folks that originally started working from home, you know, it was very clearly stated that it was a privilege and not a right, and we could revoke that at any time if it didn't work out. So Uh I think because they were so excited to have that opportunity, they've actually worked really hard to make sure it worked well. And as we added folks to that just this past several months, you know, they already knew that it was going to need to be that way as well. So I think there's always a question, you know, when all of a sudden the providers don't see everybody in the office and they think, what are they, home watching TV? Where are they? Are they actually working? <laughs> so we did have to come up with some, some ways to monitor their productivity, and, and that continues to, to change as time goes on, but, but we've done that. And it, honestly, a lot of folks can get more stuff done when they don't have the distractions of the office. And that's generally helpful as well. And I also have folks that they know it's a privilege, and so if something needs to happen outside their typically scheduled time, they're more than willing to to help us out and to flex their time in order to make that happen. Well, that sounds great. I like the point of flexing time, but I also like the point of holding your staff accountable. Uh, So you're still getting a same level of work outcome if you were output from from uh, your team that you got before, or as you just said, maybe you're actually getting more because they have fewer interruptions. Right. I, I think the biggest mystery on the, the management end is we have we really need to know what their work environment is like because even if they're just doing things on the phone or on the computer, if they're not the only one that lives in their house where they're doing this work, you've always got to have HIPAA at the top of your mind. So. Uh, we mm-hmm. require folks to have the ability to be somewhere and close a door or yeah. that, you know, they have to send pictures of what it looks like in their work area. Ah, and it also okay. to be relatively comfortable for them because the last thing I want is somebody sitting on a hard folding chair with a folding table working eight hours a day. I mean, that's just not, that's not good personally for them. So I think we've, we've, we've supplied folks with maybe a second monitor if they didn't have one at home so it was easier to do their job. But everybody had to have their own computer because we didn't really have a way to provide that to everyone in such a quick in such a quick way. And, and the, the access they have to our system is very well secured. So we, because we had that set up already and most folks have a home computer now, I think that takes the way a little bit for us. Well, that, that's interesting. So did you... Did you have to change or look at your liability insurance, uh, any of those kinds of things in relationship to these folks working from home? You know, that's an excellent question. And to be honest, the question's been asked, but I'm still unsure of the answer. 
I think part of the problem is things are changing so fast and so curiously. And, you know, it's one thing if the state of Oregon or the federal government says, stay home, you have to work from home. Uh, you know, we just do it, right? And right. it's interesting when things start to open up a little bit, but you're still not sure what's going on. So uh, I don't have an honest answer for your question because I don't know it. Um, okay. I'm sure some of that stuff will come out eventually and there, there will be some policies and requirements. But right now we're just trying to do the best we can for, for everyone. Well, I, yeah, and I continue to continue to do that. Take care of those patients and take care of those employees. That's for sure. So, right. when you then look at COVID in terms of your practice, uh, mm-hmm. did you did you end up with a lot of downturns? So you had fewer visits. Did you supplement that with telemedicine? And then, kind of, what's happened with your visits uh, in the you know as things sort of stabilized a little bit? Completely different than I ever thought it would be at every single spot where change happens. So when it, I have to give a shout out again to the Portland Healthcare Forum because we all had to jump into telemedicine and none of us were doing it. And so we worked with each other and within a four day period, every single active member of the Portland Healthcare Forum had, went from having nothing to having a strategy and, and having a way to do it and provide that for their patients and their, their providers. So that is something that we would never have guessed could happen. Mm-hmm. So, but it did. So we mm-hmm. learned from, quickly from each other. We had all kinds of, of folks researching different companies and, you know, everybody uses a different EMR. So some of them had that capability and could turn it on and, and others did not. So we, uh, we all learned very quickly and we all got it up and running and there was a bit of, there were some growing pains, but um, I think patients were very impressed from our, with, with our own practice as an endocrinology practice, we treat adults with chronic disease. And there, you know, when the CDC started giving out lists of these are the folks that are most at risk, well, those are our patients. <laughs> so immediately we had to have a way of helping those patients without making them come in and go out when they're afraid to. Yeah. So our, our visits went down about 75% immediately. Wow. And with, within a week, they were probably back up to about 50% because of telemedicine. We still had a few people coming into the office, but not very many. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just wanted to push it off, you know, well, I'm doing fine. I'll just, you know, let's do this later, do this later. Well, I think it became pretty apparent that later was still under advisement. So I would say for the first four weeks, we were at 45 to 55% of our typical patient load, and most of that was telemedicine. So most of the month of April, we were very thankful for telemedicine and the payroll protection program because we could keep people employed. We it, Most of the month of May, um, it started out the same way. And we, people got more and more comfortable with the idea of telemedicine. But then not all of the plans, Medicare and Medicaid included, had said by that point that they'd continue to pay for it. So we were kind of afraid to continue scheduling folks that way because we could, we're a small independent practice and we can't really afford to see folks for free. And so little by little, the plans kind of came on board, Medicare came on board, and 
and kept the 90-day public health emergency going. And the state of Oregon, um, with help from the Oregon Medical Association, actually got most of the commercial plans to agree early in, I would say in June, to continue paying for telemedicine as if it were a regular in-office visit, payment parity, um, through the end of the year. So there's still a few outliers there, but that, that helped us and helped our patients feel much more comfortable in switching visits to telemedicine and allowing that to continue for a while. Wow. So are you back to normal now, or are you uh, back, back to normal, meaning by numbers? with some telemedicine, or uh, how, how does that kind of calculate calculation work? Well, and this is the, kind of the second thing that I would never have guessed. Um, the second thing is, yeah, we are, we're over normal. We are at 105% of our pre-COVID numbers, and most of those, I would say 95% of those are in-office visits. The patients don't want telemedicine. They want to come. We've, we've made kind of a big deal out of our the way we strategize with cleaning the office. And we are we happen to be in a hospital facility. We're an independent practice, but we rent space from the hospital system. So there's all kinds of folks that are taking great pains to, to make sure that folks can feel safe coming here. Um, and our patients, I, I think we're feeling like if anybody could make them safe, it had to be us because we were used to working with them and, and knowing just exactly how their disease processes work. So we were surprised that June and July, how few people wanted to continue doing telemedicine. They'd rather come to the office. Now, we still today have folks that want to switch to telemedicine, and at this point, we pretty much allow it. It, it can't go on for every patient for every single visit, and we're not exactly sure when or how that's going to end. It's important for our, our folks, our providers, to actually physically see patients. And so, and I think that's one of those things that we're all kind of learning and trying to figure out how to do. Right, right. Well, I appreciate you sharing these experiences with us. I think uh, it's most helpful uh, and insightful. Uh, I applaud you for your move with work from home early on and uh, the transition and that sort of thing. Uh, I think it's incredible what you've been able to do. Uh, but let me let me just for the for a couple minutes anyhow change the subject matter uh, simply because of your location being in Portland um, and there's two things that have kept Portland in the news nationally for weeks or months um, Only two. <laughs> the, the first the first thing that comes to mind is the uh, the protests or some people would call them riots has that had an impact on you on your practice or maybe uh, anybody in the forum had anything to share with regard to that I think our practice is relative is kind of suburban. We're not far from downtown, but we're not really impacted by things that are going on downtown other than our folks that need to take mass transit. I think it makes it really hard for them to get to us. Um, those are the folks that are really wanting to continue to do telemedicine. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it's a tough call. So much of it has been politicized, and, and I think that's unfortunate because I don't it's not like there's tanks rolling around in downtown Portland. Portland's still gorgeous and beautiful, but I think more than anything, COVID has had a deadly impact on small business. And Portland and at the state of Oregon, we're very small business oriented. We, here we have very large companies as well, like Nike and Intel, but 
Oregon runs on small business, and so many of them have been closed and may or may not ever open, regardless of where they're located. And I think that what's going on downtown has really had a, a super negative impact on folks that might have been willing to venture down there and just aren't. So it's it's a tough call. I think Portland has a, and has a long history of being favorable place to express your views, and we pretty much don't mind it if folks have differing views, and, and it's mostly pretty respectful. But right now, there's so much going on all over the place. We've lost some of that bloom, I guess, to support <laughs> yeah. the city of Roses, and unfortunately, we're a little tarnished at this point, and it's, a, it's hard to know what the right thing to do is, to be honest. As somebody who feels it's really important that folks be allowed to, to speak their mind and to peacefully protest, I'm very frustrated by the, the professional protesters or anarchists that have kind of ransacked the city or a certain portion of the city. And there doesn't seem to be an easy way to get rid of them. And I, I think that's really unfortunate. I certainly don't have the answer. And I'm certainly glad I don't have to come up with the answer. But I don't think the answer is just to bring in tear gas and the army and guns and all kinds of stuff. I, I don't have the answer, and I wish I did. Well, but yeah, the, the, you, you could get you could become a millionaire easily if you had a good answer for that. That's for exactly. sure. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So the practices that are downtown, I think mm-hmm. it's absolutely been impacted if they don't have additional locations where they can route patients so so i I know it's been tough for them yeah what this it just uh, mean the the news media does uh, blow it up as you said it's politicized and and causes all of us a little concerned Uh, having been in portland a few times i think it's a it's a beautiful place and it's just sad Mm -hmm. to see uh this kind of thing that that goes on uh that's that's for sure but also based on the fact that portland's in this beautiful area uh you also have had uh uh the what the world's worst environmental oh impact uh because of the smoke from the fires around there has that uh, had an impact on anything huge huge um i'm old enough i'm not telling you how old i am but i'm old okay. enough to remember when Mount St. Helens blew on May 18th, 1980. And I was, uh, I remember exactly what it was like from that moment on until all of the falling ash went away. And so I would say this was worse. Um, I lived quite a a ways outside of town, much closer to the fires than folks that mostly live in Portland in in the certain core area. And I had to move. Um, into my sister lives in town and I had to take my little dog and we had to move out of my house not because of the fire danger to us personally but the smoke was so bad I couldn't see the sidewalk from my front porch oh my goodness and I've, I've never seen the sky that color I've never seen the air this way and it just kept getting worse and worse and any any pictures anyone saw on Facebook or saw in the news media did not at all do it justice. It's the craziest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I, I mean, and I fully remember Mount St. Helens. Mm-hmm. So, and this was much, much worse. So I know there are lots of um, clinics in, in the local area, and, and I'm gonna extend that outside of Portland to some of the, the bigger counties like Clackamas County, Multnomah County, Washington, and, and Marion County um, basically had to shut down yet again because of the smoke. And 
and because many of them were evacuated because the fire was in their neighborhood or close to them. I have a very personal friend who lost everything to the fire. And so just trying to figure out how I can help her and her family right now has been a bit of an adventure in a very adventurous year. But this, uh, the smoke, it's almost like, you know, COVID's bad. The smoke was worse than COVID for a while. Luckily, we got our fabulous Oregon rain and a lot of the smoke went away. It started to come back a little bit, but we got some more rain. And so hopefully it's it's not coming back. But there were a lot, you know, businesses that were still holding on by a thread, trying to reopen and, and do it well, ended up shutting down again. And I, I just really hope that they're not going to feel the long-term effects of this in addition to well, what, the, what they've already been going through. Yeah. So this really didn't impact your practice then directly other than individually yourself and some of your employees uh, it pushed it pushed folks back to telemedicine for a brief you know for a a one to two week period some of our patients so and you know you could walk through the hospital corridors and smell smoke and i think that's that's you know i was i remember sitting at my when i when i work from home i don't have a huge house but i my desk is in one corner of the living room and then I can see all the way down the hallway to the bedroom and I saw smoke floating in the air and that's when I started packing and thought, you know, this is ridiculous, we can't stay here and we had everything closed up at that point so um, it was certainly unexpected Oregon has, in certain areas of Oregon has fires every year Um, but our portion of the state we have had smoke before but nothing even not even a fraction of what it was like in the in the Portland metro area on the west side, I guess, of Oregon. I'll say um, I don't I don't remember that ever happening. And again, I've been around a while, so it's just nuts. No kidding. Well, then here's here's maybe the last question that I would ask. Um, you said that the rains have come, kind of calmed down the. Uh, smoke a little bit, uh, the, the protests, I guess, either are continuing or uh, the national news media has lost its glamour of covering it, but uh, the, the bigger question is, how? And, and then COVID's hopefully stabilizing a little bit, the bigger question is, what do you see for the next six to 12 months then uh, for your practice relative to uh, how do you come out of these three things? Uh, one being worse than the other, worse than the other, worse than the other. How, how, yeah. do, you, how do you see that kind of looking uh, in, in for 2021? Well, for my practice, there anybody who knows the industry knows that their endocrinology is very hard to find. And unfortunately, there's a lot of folks with endocrine issues. So my practice will come out of this. There, we're, we're trying to come up with our long-term telemedicine strategy, which we can have as, as clinicians. We can develop what, what's okay to do telemedicine and how often, but it's going to come down to the payers need to continue to pay for it. I think employers know now that this can work and they're going to insist on it as our patients. So, so I think that's going to help us out a little bit. But we have to stand firm with whatever policy our clinic comes up with, as does everyone else. I think it's going to be a nice synergy for lots of practices moving forward once we've out of all of this. Um, I think our, 
you know, there's a lot of talk about a vaccine and everybody gets a vaccine and we'll all be normal and fabulous and everything. And, and I don't know, I'm not a clinician, but it, I, I do know what happens when new medications come out and it, it takes a while. So just because a, a vaccine is ready to go tomorrow doesn't mean everybody can get one. And it doesn't mean that it's going to stop everybody from, from getting COVID, I, yeah. I guess. But again, I'm not a clinician. I, I don't really know. I talk to them about it all the time, but um, I think we're, this is going to be around for a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I kind of have this theory that we're really going to end up with uh, 2021 not being as bad as 2020, but it's not going to be normal or stable, and that we're really looking for 2022 before we're going to be able to uh, sort of get to what, what a, a lot of people call the next normal or the next new normal. Uh, does that sort of fit with kind of how you you look at things? Yeah, I think part of the problem is um, quarantine. And I don't mean quarantine is a problem, but I'll take my part myself, for instance. I love to travel. When I'm not at work, I love to go, go, go. I, my passport has lots of stamps in it. I had trips planned that have all since been canceled. And so I, at this time, am not willing to get on a plane there's lots of people that do not certainly not as many as before but what i don't want to have to do is plan a big trip get on a plane and then have to spend the first 14 days quarantine so i can't do anything but look at my hotel room <laughs> so so to so to me that my life's not going to be normal until i can go somewhere and not have to do that or or maybe they figure out that quarantine is different or shorter or whatever so, so do you think, well, how do you think your patients are feeling about this? Are they sort of fearful of uh, stability or instability uh, and looking at it for a longer period of time? Or are they, or are they saying, to heck with this, I've had COVID burnout and I'm just going to go about my life? Um, yes, I'm going to say yes to all of those questions. I, I think there's, there's, there's certainly the deniers. There's the ones that are afraid to come out of their house and everybody in between, right? So we just try to do the best we can for each individual patient as much as we can and talk to them and, and figure out how we can meet their needs. But part of that has to be them realizing that we can't just do everything over the screen. We have to get blood work done at some point to know if your medications are working well. We have to know how, how things are happening for you. And while there are some wearables that have become more popular in the past couple of years that certainly help us when it comes to things like diabetes and tracking blood glucose levels. Right. Not, yeah. not everybody pays for that yet, not every insurance company, so not every patient can do that. So we're, we're trying to push, and we're trying to get there as fast as we can, and we have tons of patients utilizing those, and those folks are, are much, it's much easier for us to help them remotely than it is to uh, for those who, who don't have that luxury and have to come in but there's still blood work to be done there's you know there's still patients out there that are afraid to have surgery because they don't want to be in the hospital um you know there's there's clinics that have closed and are not going to reopen again something we haven't touched on because i work in adult endocrinology is pediatric clinics are you know this i don't know how this is working across the nation as much as here in oregon but um in oregon people didn't go back to school they went back to school on a computer at least through November at this point. And so pediatric clinics that used to have all of their kids come in to get their vaccines and their back to school and their, their sports physicals and things like that, 
are having a tough time getting those kids to come in to get the vaccines that are needed yeah. based on their age and, and all of that. So um, so it's not just grown-ups that are afraid. It's not just people with health care issues. I think it's it's everybody. Everything's been turned upside down. And, you know, parents who have had to go, had to start working from home or unable to work from home, but they're having to do school with their kids when... Yep. They didn't have to do that before, so I, just, I feel like there's so many things that are still upside down and going to be upside down for a while, and it's a trickle-down effect maybe to healthcare. It's, it's easy for me to think about the healthcare piece of it all the time when there's so many other facets yep, to this. Yep. That and we're all people, yep. right? Yep, but there's people. we're people, and that does impact every patient and every patient's decision about whether or not they seek care and how they seek care. Yep, and every yeah. provider and everyone who works in healthcare, yep. they might be a parent, you know. So it's there's just so many things going on, and it <laughs> it, it does get really overwhelming a lot. But I think it sounds like you've handled it incredibly well. You you and your team of uh, the forum, as well as your uh, individual team members there in the practice, uh, Deb. I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been truly amazing to hear your story. Uh, all of us that are listening uh, want to wish you the best of luck. Hang in there, and uh, I'm sure you'll make it through, and we'll look forward to, uh, to following you and talking with you again in the future. So, Deb, I want to say thank you very much for your time, and uh, everyone can listen to Well, Deb, if anybody wanted to follow up with you, how might they get in touch with you? Um, well, I can certainly get in touch with me through the clinic, Portland Diabetes and Endocrinology Center. We have a website, and there's a click. There's a, I think there's a contact us. Um, otherwise, I would say, are you, when you post this, are you? Is it possible to post more information about that? Uh, yeah, I will. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Great. Well, Deb, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for the invitation. It was really interesting.